Hare Krishna. This is a reading from the Srimad Bhagavatam, with translations and purports by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. First Canto, Chapter 4, Texts 1 through 13. Srimad Bhagavatam, 1st Canto, Chapter 4, The Appearance of Sri Narada. Text 1. On hearing Sutta Goswami speak thus, Shonaka Muni, who was the elderly, learned leader of all the rishis engaged in that prolonged sacrificial ceremony, congratulated Sutta Goswami by addressing him as follows. Purport by Srila Prabhupada. In a meeting of learned men, when there are congratulations or addresses for the speaker, the qualifications of the congratulator should be as follows. He must be the leader of the house and an elderly man. He must be vastly learned also. Shishonakarishi had all these qualifications. And thus he stood up to congratulate Sri Sutta Goswami when he expressed his desire to present Srimad Bhagavatam exactly as he had heard it from Sukadev Goswami and also realized it personally. Personal realization does not mean that one should, out of vanity, attempt to show one's own learning by trying to surpass the previous acharya. He must have full confidence in the previous acharya and at the same time, he must realize the subject matter so nicely that he can present the matter for the particular circumstances in a suitable manner. The original purpose of the text must be maintained. No obscure meaning can be screwed out of it, yet it should be presented in an interesting manner for the understanding of the audience. This is called realization. The leader of the assembly, Shonaka, could estimate the value of the speaker, Sri Sutta Goswami, simply by his uttering Yataditam and Yatamati. And therefore he was very glad to congratulate him in ecstasy. No learned man should be willing to hear a person who does not represent the original Acharya. So the speaker and the audience were bona fide in this meeting where the Bhagavatam was being recited for the second time. That should be the standard of recitation of Bhagavatam, so that the real purpose can be served without difficulty. Unless this situation is created, Bhagavatam recitation for extraneous purposes is useless labor, both for the speaker and for the audience. Text 2. Shonika said, O Sutta Goswami, you are the most fortunate and respected of those who can speak and recite. Please relate the pious message of Srimad Bhagavatam, 
which was spoken by the great and powerful sage Sukadev Goswami. Report by Srila Prabhupada. Sutta Goswami is twice addressed herein by Shonaka Goswami out of great joy because he and the members of the assembly were eager to hear the text of Bhagavatam uttered by Sukadev Goswami. They were not interested in hearing it from a bogus person who would interpret it in his own way to suit his own purpose. Generally, the so-called Bhagavatam reciters are either professional readers or so-called learned impersonalists who cannot enter into the transcendental personal activities of the Supreme Person. Such impersonalists twist some meanings out of the Bhagavatam to suit and support impersonalist views. And the professional readers at once go to the tenth canto to misexplain the most confidential part of the Lord's pastimes. Neither of these reciters are bona fide persons to recite the Bhagavatam. Only one who is prepared to present Bhagavatam in the light of Sukadev Goswami, and only those who are prepared to hear Sukadev Goswami and his representative, are bona fide participants in the transcendental discussion of Srimad Bhagavatam. Text 3. In what period and at what place was this first begun, and why was this taken up? From where did Krishna Dvaipayana Vyas, the great sage, get the inspiration to compile this literature? Purport by Srila Prabhupada Because Srimad Bhagavatam is the special contribution of Srila Vyasadeva, there are so many inquiries by the learned Shonakamuni. It was known to them that Srila Vyasadeva had already explained the texts of the Vedas in various ways, up to the Mahabharata, for the understanding of the less intelligent women, sudras, and fallen members of the family of the twice-born. Srimad Bhagavatam is transcendental to all of them because it has nothing to do with anything mundane. So the inquiries are very intelligent and relevant. Text 4. His, Vyasadeva's, son was a great devotee, an equal-balanced monist whose mind was always concentrated in monism. He was transcendental to mundane activities. But being unexposed, he appeared like an ignorant person. Purport by Śrīla Prabhupāda Śrīla Sukadeva Goswami was a liberated soul, and thus he remained always alert not to be trapped by the illusory energy. In the Bhagavad Gita, this alertness is very lucidly explained. The liberated soul and the conditioned soul have different engagements. The liberated soul is always engaged in the progressive path of spiritual attainment, which is something like a dream for the conditioned soul. 
the conditioned soul cannot imagine the actual engagements of the liberated soul. While the conditioned soul thus dreams about spiritual engagement, the liberated soul is awake. Similarly, the engagement of the conditioned soul appears to be a dream for the liberated soul. A conditioned soul and a liberated soul may apparently be on the same platform, but factually they are differently engaged and their attention is always alert, either in sense enjoyment or in self-realization. The conditioned soul is absorbed in matter, whereas the liberated soul is completely indifferent to matter. This indifference is explained as follows. Text 5. While Sri Vyasadeva was following his son, beautiful young damsels who were bathing naked covered their bodies with cloth, although Srila Vyasadeva himself was not naked. But they had not done so when his son had passed. The sage inquired about this, and the young ladies replied that his son was purified, and when looking at them, made no distinction between male and female. But the sage made such distinctions. Purport by Srila Prabhupada In the Bhagavad Gita, 518, it is said that a learned sage looks equally on a learned and gentle Brahmin, a chandala or dog-eater, a dog or a cow, due to his spiritual vision. Srila Sukadev Goswami attained that stage. Thus he did not see a male or female. He saw all living entities in different dress. The ladies who were bathing could understand the mind of a man simply by studying his demeanor. Just as by looking at a child, one can understand how innocent he is. Sukadev Goswami was a young boy, 16 years old, and therefore all the parts of his body were developed. He was naked also, and so were the ladies. But because Sukadev Goswami was transcendental to sex relations, he appeared very innocent. The ladies, by their special qualifications, could sense this at once, and therefore they were not very concerned about him. But when his father passed, the ladies quickly dressed. The ladies were exactly like his children or grandchildren, yet they reacted to the presence of Vyasadeva according to the social custom, because Srila Vyasadeva played the part of a householder. A householder has to distinguish between a male and a female, otherwise he cannot be a householder. One should therefore attempt to know the distinction between the body and soul without any attachment for male and female. As long as such a distinction is there, one should not try to become a sannyasi like Sukadev Goswami. At least theoretically, one must be convinced that the living entity is neither male nor female. The outward dress is made of matter by material nature to attract the opposite sex and thus keep one entangled in material existence. A liberated soul 
is above this perverted distinction. He does not distinguish between one living being and another. For him they are all one and the same, spirit. The perfection of this spiritual vision is the liberated stage, and Srila Sukadev Goswami attained that stage. Srila Vyasadeva was also in the transcendental stage, but because he was in the householder's life, he did not pretend to be a liberated soul as a matter of custom. Text 6 How was he, Srila Sukadev, the son of Vyasadev, recognized by the citizens when he entered the city of Hastinapur, now Delhi, after wandering in the provinces of Kuru and Jangala, appearing like a madman, dumb and retarded. Purport by Srila Prabhupada The present city of Delhi was formerly known as Hastinapur, because it was first established by the king Hasti. Goswami Sukadev, after leaving his paternal home, was roaming like a madman, and therefore it was very difficult for the citizens to recognize him in his exalted position. A sage is not, therefore, recognized by sight, but by hearing. One should approach a sadhu or great sage not to see, but to hear him, if one is not prepared to hear the words of a sadhu, there is no profit. Sukadev Goswami was a sadhu who could speak on the transcendental activities of the Lord. He did not satisfy the whims of ordinary citizens. He was recognized when he spoke on the subject of Bhagavatam, and he never attempted jugglery like a magician. Outwardly, he appeared to be a retarded, dumb madman. But in fact, he was the most elevated, transcendental personality. Text 7 How did it so happen that King Pariket met the great sage, making it possible for this great transcendental essence of the Vedas, the Bhagavatam, to be sung to him? Report by Srila Prabhupada. Srimad Bhagavatam is stated here as the essence of the Vedas. It is not an imaginary story, as it is sometimes considered by unauthorized men. It is also called Sukha Samhita, or the Vedic hymn spoken by Srila Sukadev Goswami, the liberated sage. Text 8. He, Sukadev Goswami, was accustomed to stay at the door of a householder only long enough for a cow to be milked, and he did this just to sanctify the residence. Purport by Srila Prabhupada. Sukadev Goswami met Emperor Parikhet and explained the text of Srimad Bhagavatam. He was not accustomed to stay at any householder's residence for more than half an hour 
at the time of milking the cow, and he would just take alms from the fortunate householder. That was to sanctify the residence by his auspicious presence. Therefore, Sukadev Goswami was an ideal preacher established in the transcendental position. From his activities, those who are in the renounced order of life and dedicated to the mission of preaching the message of Godhead should learn that they have no business with householders, save and accept, to enlighten them in transcendental knowledge. Such asking for alms from the householder should be for the purpose of sanctifying his home. One in the renounced order of life should not be allured by the glamour of the householder's worldly possessions and thus become subservient to worldly men. For one who is in the renounced order of life, this is much more dangerous than drinking poison and committing suicide. Text 9 It is said that Maharaj Parikhet was a first-class devotee of the Lord, and that his birth and activities are wonderful. Please tell us about him. Purport by Srila Prabhupada The birth of Maharaj Parikhet is wonderful, because in the womb of his mother he was protected by the personality of Godhead, Sri Krishna. His activities are also wonderful because he chastised Kali, who was attempting to kill a cow. To kill cows means to end human civilization. He wanted to protect the cow from being killed by the great representative of sin. His death is also wonderful because he got previous notice of his death, which is wonderful for any mortal being, and thus he prepared himself for passing away by sitting down on the bank of the Ganges and hearing the transcendental activities of the Lord. During all the days he heard Bhagavatam, he did not take food or drink, nor did he sleep a moment. So everything about him is wonderful, and his activities are worth hearing attentively. The desire is expressed herein to hear about him in detail. Text 10. He was a great emperor and possessed all the opulences of his acquired kingdom. He was so exalted that he was increasing the prestige of the Pandu dynasty. Why did he give up everything and sit down on the bank of the Ganges and fast until death? Purport by Srila Prabhupada. Maharaj Parikhet was the emperor of the world and all the seas and oceans, and he did not have to take the trouble to acquire such a kingdom by his own effort. He inherited it from his grandfathers, Maharaj Yudhisthira and brothers. Besides that, he was doing well in the administration and was worthy of the good names of his forefathers. Consequently, there was nothing undesirable in his opulence and administration then why would he give up all these favorable circumstances and sit down on the bank of the Ganges, fasting until death? This is astonishing. And therefore, all were eager to know the cause. Text 11. 
Text 11. He was such a great emperor that all his enemies would come and bow down at his feet and surrender all their wealth for their own benefit. He was full of youth and strength, and he possessed kingly opulences that were very difficult to give up. Why did he want to give up everything, including his life? Report Ashvila Prabhupada. There was nothing undesirable in his life. He was quite a young man and could enjoy life with power and opulence. So there was no question of retiring from active life. There was no difficulty in collecting state taxes because he was so powerful and chivalrous that even his enemies would come to him and bow down at his feet and surrender all the wealth for their own benefit. Maharaj Parikit was a pious king. He conquered his enemies, and therefore the kingdom was full of prosperity. There was enough milk, grains, and metals, and the rivers and mountains were full of potency. So materially, everything was satisfactory. Therefore there was no question of untimely giving up his kingdom and life. The sages were eager to hear about all this. Text 12 Those who are devoted to the cause of the Personality of Godhead live only for the welfare, development, and happiness of others. They do not live for any selfish interest. So even though the Emperor Pariket was freed from all attachment to worldly possessions, how could he give up his mortal body, which is the shelter for others? Purport by Srila Prabhupada Pariket Maharaj was an ideal king and householder because he was a devotee of the Personality of Godhead. A devotee of the Lord automatically has all good qualifications. And the emperor was a typical example of this. Personally, he had no attachment for all the worldly opulences in his possession. But since he was a king for the all-around welfare of his citizens, he was always busy in the welfare work of the public, not only for this life, but also for the next. He would not allow slaughterhouses or killing cows. He was not a foolish and partial administrator who would arrange for the protection of one living being and allow another to be killed. Because he was a devotee of the Lord, he knew perfectly well how to conduct his administration for everyone's happiness. Men, animals, plants, and all living creatures. He was not selfishly interested. Selfishness is either self-centered or self-extended. He was neither. His interest was to please the supreme truth, the personality of Godhead. The king is the representative of the supreme lord, and therefore the king's interest must be identical with that of the supreme lord. The supreme lord wants all living beings to be obedient to him and thereby become happy. Therefore, the king's interest is to guide all subjects back to the kingdom of God. Hence, 
The activities of the citizens should be so coordinated that they can go, at the end, back home, back to Godhead. Under the administration of a representative king, the kingdom is full of opulence. At that time, human beings need not eat animals. There are ample food grains, milk, fruit, and vegetables, so that the human beings, as well as the animals, can eat sumptuously and to their heart's content. If all living beings are satisfied with food and shelter and obey the prescribed rules, there cannot be any disturbance between one living being and another. Emperor Pericot was a worthy king, and therefore all were happy during his reign. Text 13. We know that you are expert in the meaning of all subjects, except some portions of the Vedas, and thus you can clearly explain the answers to all the questions we have just put to you. Report by Srila Prabhupada. The difference between the Vedas and the Puranas is like that between the Brahmins and the Parivajakas. The Brahmins are meant to administrate some fruitive sacrifices mentioned in the Vedas, but the Parivajakacharyas, or learned preachers, are meant to disseminate transcendental knowledge to one and all. As such, the Parivajakacharyas are not always expert in pronouncing the Vedic mantras, which are practiced systematically by accent and meter by the Brahmins who are meant for administering Vedic rites. Yet it should not be considered that the Brahmins are more important than the itinerant preachers. They are one and different simultaneously, because they are meant for the same end in different ways. There is no difference between the Vedic mantras and what is explained in the Puranas and Etihasas. According to Srila Jiva Goswami, it is mentioned in the Madhyadina Shruti that all the Vedas, namely the Sama, Atharva, Rig, Yajur, Puranas, Etihasas, Upanishads, etc., are emanations from the breathing of the Supreme Being. The only difference is that the Vedic mantras mostly begin with Pranava Omkar, and it requires some training to practice the meter pronunciation of the Vedic mantras. But that does not mean that Srimad Bhagavatam is of less importance than the Vedic mantras. On the contrary, it is the ripened fruit of all the Vedas, as stated before. Besides that, the most perfectly liberated soul, Srila Sukadev Goswami, is absorbed in studies of the Bhagavatam, although he is already self-realized. Srila Sutta Goswami is following in his footsteps, and therefore his position is not the least less important because he was not expert in chanting Vedic mantras with metric pronunciation, which depends more on practice than actual realization. Realization is more important than parrot-like chanting. 